And we are live, folks. We are live. Despite continued high inflation numbers, the stock market dropping, and a shaky housing market, the Biden administration thought it was a good time to celebrate the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Also, major credit card companies have taken action that might essentially create a national gun registry. We're going to be talking about all of this and more on episode 363 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the Other Tank Podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm uh, doing just great. And I swear I'm not doing this to, uh, to fish for happy birthday congratulations. But it is my birthday today. I'm 52 years old. And uh, I'm at that age where for everybody who's under the age of 40, I might as well be 85 years old. And for everybody over the age of 60, they, they treat me like I'm 25, you know? So yeah, I'm in that, I'm in that middle of middle age where uh, you kind of are your own thing and, you know, it's just kind of neat. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, senior editor at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing good. And just want to con- uh, congratulate Jim on uh, making it to the big five, two. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're just halfway there, big man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's right. Yeah. So, so for uh, for all those that don't know, Jim has taken the day off and tomorrow to prolong his weekend for the celebratory uh, 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 celebrating his birthday. But he's so committed to the show that he made sure to bring home some podcasting equipment so that he can join us live on this broadcast of In the Tank. How dedicated is he, folks? Come on, let's let's uh, give him a hand, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, so Jim, um, a little known fact about you, uh, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but since it's Uh-oh. your birthday, uh, he actually went to high school with the late Queen Elizabeth. Jim, <laughs> uh, was she really the party animal that we've been led to believe? She was very much a bookworm, though, you know, she only got C's, <laughs> but she tried. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, won't miss an episode. I think I, I think I might've done an episode of my birthday before, but well, who cares? Um, so who's, who's, who's joining us here in the chat? Uh, I see that we've got uh, some of our standard people. We got Jason button over here. We got Gary. Gary's joining us. Diana or Diane, I should say Janice, uh, TM Willems. I see him or her, her saying happy birthday. Mm -hmm. Cowboy Roy, Roy Rogers. All right. Fantastic. We got a nice little crew here. I'm, uh, excited to see your comments and questions in the chat as we, Go along the episode, and of course, you know, you know, wish Jim a happy birthday. Why not? Um, Donnie, also, we Donnie, Donnie, you gotta get your pronouns straight, man. I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry. We're gonna get banned. Put your pronouns in the chat that way. I won't... <laughs> no, if you put Come your on, pronouns man. in the chat, you will will mute you and then ban you. You won't be able to watch it anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. 
all right. So before we get going, I always have to put that message out there to our old audio only listeners that are probably catching this show on a Friday that you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time. We're live streaming on YouTube and Rumble and Facebook and Twitter. So you can join the conversation live during the show. Put your comments and questions in there. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also you can help us out substantially just by doing a couple of things. Won't cost you a cent. Only will cost you a minute just by hitting the like button, sharing this content, leaving a comment underneath the video, uh, all things that'll help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from reaching more eyeballs. So um, let's uh, let's let's get into it, Jim, unless you have any like being 52 anecdotes that you want to talk about. No, no, I think we're done talking about how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it'll come up a couple more times. I don't know. Maybe, you know, depends. Uh, so our main topic of the week almost got past me. Uh, I was talking to Chris this week about potential show topics, and we were kicking around a few things. Maybe we'll talk about some of these criminal justice things that are being floated around in Illinois. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about something else. And then he told me about this White House celebration that went down for the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act while in the midst of another bad inflation report and a stock market plummet. And he started showing me clips of this. Uh, who, again, I, I was unaware that this celebration was even going on. So he's showing me these clips of this party. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like we have to talk about this. This is so tone deaf. It's like <laughs> on a whole nother level. We, we we dog on Biden and the Biden administration all the time. But this is taking it to a whole nother level. We, we have a clip, right? We have a couple of clips of this uh, shindig going on. Uh, one of them's got uh, musician James Taylor playing a song <laughs> let's yeah. let's let's start yeah. that just so we can see the oh, the context please of welcome the, uh... mr james taylor yeah uh, well here yeah, yeah we, i mean we're showing this on the screen for the viewers watching and it's what what i like about it you can just keep playing andy it's fine you maybe turn it down a little bit uh while we talk over it but you know you have again the pomp and circumstance of this you have the dress uniformed marines coming out and they open the door for him and then they stand at attention and then they you know do all the stuff and it's just 72-year-old James Taylor coming out with his hat, you know, the troubadour and all of this, coming out here to, to, to sing a song for everybody to celebrate the wonderfulness of the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what's funny about it is that he the song he played is like the song I guess he plays for everything. By the way, our tax dollars uh, flew flew him in here for, uh, sure. for this thing, so that's great. Uh, but he, he sings the song Fire and Rain, which, you know, everybody knows uh, from 50 years ago. Uh, Fire and Rain, that song is about the suicide of a friend of his and oh, about geez. his own and about his own uh, problems with drug addiction. So I oh. got to hand it to I got to hand it to the Biden administration. That song is on brand for these guys. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know if they'll show it in this clip, but we'll have it running in the background while we talk about all of this. But, uh, you know, I, I've seen different White House celebration things. You know, I've seen the the Rose Garden and they have their rows of chairs and they invite a bunch of people that are involved in different announcements or anything like that. Um, so I was kind of expecting that was the case with this. But in one of the clips that uh, Chris was showing me yesterday, I think we were watching it. Uh, it panned around and looked at the crowd and there is like hundreds and hundreds of people. Like it's like a giant full on party going on here. <laughs> like I, I was just, and I never, I didn't even hear about it until yesterday. And I was just so, so surprised that they threw such like an all out bash for the passage of the inflation reduction act. 
It was insane. It was as if it was like some cel celebration for like winning a war or something <laughs> like that. Like bring your troops on World War Two. Yeah, like defeated inflation. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's absolutely bizarre, but. I don't know. There's a couple of different factors that I kind of want to get into in this before we just kind of jump into inflation by itself. But um, one of the things is, and this is the most obvious, so I'll start off with it, is that this happened on Tuesday. Correct me if I'm wrong. Happened on Tuesday. It was the same day that the, in, that the August inflation report came out. And the August inflation report, and we'll get more into that in depth in a little bit, but it came out much higher than, not much higher, but higher than expected. And it was like, was this was it calculated? Was this planned to come out like when the inflation number was coming out? And now, in hindsight, was it miscalculated uh, to line up with the inflation report because it was it was they probably expected it to be much lower and it was and it was higher? Chris, what well, do you think? I I, I think I think uh, most experts expected it to be around eight point one percent, so they thought it would decrease by like 03 or 04 percent from the previous month. And as we know, it went up 0.1% uh, from the previous month, and it uh, is 8.3% year over year. But still, even if it did go down, you know, 0 0.4, 0 0.5%, and it was hovering, you know, maybe like 7.9 or 7.8%, that is no reason to celebrate. So I, I, I still think even if they got a, you know, blockbuster report uh, yeah. that, you know, it was declining and, you know, we're, 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 you know, past the worst of it, I still think it was a just terrible, terrible uh, uh, you know, time to do this. And I think that the American people look at this and just shake their head and go, God, these people are so out of touch. You know, they are just so not in, you know, not in line with uh, what's going on, you know, for, for, you know, the vast majority of the American people who are struggling to uh, make ends meet. Yeah, Jim, I mean, you know that politics is more about optics than anything else. I mean, what were they going for here? Well, I, I think <laughs> I think Chris is right. I mean, they know when the inflation numbers come out. They know when these it's it's on a regular schedule. So they they did schedule this because they did expect better news. I mean, God, I don't know. <laughs> you know, betting on a good economy right now uh, and good economic <laughs> news. Jeez. Uh, Vegas would love you guys. Go there and, and start betting over there, too. Uh, mm -hmm. The book's going to the book's going to love you. Uh but look, they lied. Remember, they lied and said, or, or I think there was a tweet. I bet Andy could find it in 30 seconds where uh, Joe Biden said that inflation in July was zero. Remember, right. we didn't have any inflation in July, according to somehow some new math, I guess, that they uh, that there was zero inflation. So they thought it would be, uh, you know, fantastic news. And look, this this it's. <laughs> It is tone deaf. I mean, they're they're doing all they can. Look, the the it's it's very getting very close to November now. The the the, mid, the midterm elections are almost here. Uh, they have to they have to do stuff like this. They have to try to uh, paint a rosy picture on the worst economic uh, situation most people that are alive today have ever experienced. And it's not getting there. It is. Yeah, you're the best, Andy. The producer puts it up there on screen. This was from August 10th, 2022. July's 0% inflation and last week's booming jobs report underscore the kind of economy we're building, an economy that works for everyone. This is an economy that works for no one. No one. People save, people's savings are being uh, are being ravaged by uh, by inflation. Inflation does these sorts of things. I mean, we're going to go through some of the numbers, but I just got to... Um, Mention some of them now. The food at home index rose 13.5% over the last 12 months. So when you go to the grocery store, you're paying 13% more for that. That is the largest increase since 1979. 
nobody on this podcast except me was alive in 1979, but I wasn't even that old. I was only nine years old at the time. But and, and another thing, I don't know if you're bringing up the stories that you shared with us uh, on this, Donnie, on this on this bad economic news, but. Can we stop saying that this bad news is unexpected? I think I read at least three stories where like the inflation number was quote unquote unexpected. All through the Trump years, all the good economic news uh, from the stock market going up to wage growth, to uh, unemployment, to the largest uh, or the or the best uh, employment rate for minorities in America ever recorded. All of that good news, the, the previous four years was always record, um, reported as unexpected. Like they couldn't believe that these pro-growth policies were actually working. So every time there was good economic news, which was every month, it was always unexpected. Now, when we see that this economy just continues to spiral down, and if you read, um, well, it doesn't take long to find things. Larry Kudlow had a good piece. He's the former economic advisor to the Trump administration, longtime uh, columnist actually at National Review, had a television show on CNBC, very smart economist. He says, we're, we're, this is just the beginning, guys. This is going to continue to get worse, that the that the indications for the economy, some of the key ones uh, are, are looking worse and worse. And we're actually just kind of being buoyed by, uh, uh, by a few factors in the economy uh, and that energy prices going down a little bit, the gas prices, that is, is actually a bad sign <laughs> because that, that means we're actually going to go off a cliff. But all of this stuff is always reported as unexpected. Uh, it, it's as if the report, they're gaslighting us. Gaslighting is the term of the decade. It's definitely the term of the year. Our media is trying to tell us that everything would be just going, would be going just great. It's just, gosh, I can't believe this economy just won't turn around despite all of the stuff we're doing, like pouring trillions of dollars into the economy that we don't have by printing is, money and causing inflation. It's Putin's fault. Yes, it's all Putin's fault. It's just, it's just so, it's just so amazing. Of course, the economy is garbage, uh, and you know, because almost, not almost, everything this administration has done in an economic sense has been the exact opposite of good. It, it's yeah. what causes the the recession and soon, I think, depression we're going to be in. Yeah, I've got a I've got a handful of things that I want to talk about inflation, but um, this this affair, this uh, party was less about inflation and more about just rattling off all of the partisan talking points, the party line rhetoric, all of that. In fact, like I wanted to go to like find the transcript of this. I found a transcript on C-SPAN for the, the the event, and I wanted to search like inflation and see how many times they even talked about inflation that wasn't like just reading the bill's name. And unfortunately, it didn't work. But I bet, I bet that it was like less than five times they even mentioned inflation during during the entire celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act. But uh, yeah, like I said, it was just it was just straight propaganda. I mean, Chris, you sent me the video. I watched about five minutes of it before I just <laughs> I, I couldn't stomach it. I turned it off. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I'm sure you watched a lot more of it than me. But before we get into like some of the more specifically inflation related stuff, I just want to kind of go through. Some a handful of things that were mentioned during this various uh, during the various speeches. Kamala Harris was up there. Nancy Pelosi was up there. Chuck Schumer, uh, Joe Biden, they all spoke. And it was just basically a list of what they're kind of I, I think is just going to make up like what their campaign rhetoric is going to be for the next probably couple of elections. So the first thing was Nancy Pelosi calling the Inflation Reduction Act a beautifully named bill. A beautifully named bill. Sure, it's incredibly inaccurate for, for what the Inflation Reduction Act was. But yeah, the, the bill had a pretty nice ring to it. And as I'm listing some of these off, if you guys want to jump in with any comments, go for it. But I'm just going to keep keep going through them. 
Uh, Chuck Schumer called out Republicans for not supporting the bill. Uh, they, they made it seem like they're just obstructionists, of course. You know, it, perhaps it was because it's just a thinly veiled. And when I say thinly, I mean, it's barely even there. Thinly veiled subsidy giveaway for unreliable energy that didn't have anything to do with dealing with inflation. Um, Biden hit on the point that uh, that we're taking on big pharma. Again, we talked about this last week because the, the the bill's Medicaid reform. This is a joke. We know that they're completely in bed with big pharma. We covered this last week. Uh, Biden at one point talked about the millions of jobs his administration has created. And this is the claim that annoys me probably more than any of the other ones because he didn't create any jobs. You just finally allowed people to go back to work after taking their jobs away from them in the name of fighting COVID. Like this is probably the most like disingenuous point that Biden makes over and over again. And that's a high bar. And then the only other one that I want to mention, I'll let you guys comment on any of these, is that uh, Biden also celebrated the fact that gasoline prices have come down like a dollar fifty. And again, another disingenuous claim. Sure, it's down a dollar and fifty, but it's still up almost two dollars from the time that he took office. So, plus the fact that his administration is doing everything they can, everything in their power, to destroy the reliable energy sector, uh, I just find it distasteful that he's like celebrating this. And Chris, yesterday we were talking about this, and I was saying like, Chris, give me a hundred dollars. And then in an hour, I'm going to give you $50 back. And then forever, I can claim that I gave you 50 bucks. Like, that's <laughs> basically what's happening here. And it, it just, it, it blows my mind that people even fall for it, even on the left side of the aisle. Uh, but uh, Chris, you want to comment on any of these, uh, any of these points or more that maybe you've heard? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, my, my first response is I don't think that people on the left side of the aisle are falling for this because I've seen a lot of polls that have been coming out recently. Now, inflation is back to being the number one issue. And this is mm. across party lines. I think people are really starting to feel the uh, the brunt of this. And uh, on the same day that Joe Biden held his you know big uh, celebration at the White House, he also issued a statement on the uh, August inflation uh, report, and it was full of lies, just flat out lies. First of all, as Jim mentioned earlier, Biden said that food prices were declining. No, they weren't. They were highest since May 1979. He also said that uh, that uh, wages were increasing. That is completely <laughs> not true nope. because they increased a tiny, tiny bit. But when you uh, com- when you put that into context of uh, inflation, you know, the amount of, uh, the prices went up, actually, uh, uh, wages are down and they're down like 3%. So -hmm. this is costing the average American household thousands and thousands of dollars. I think that most Americans are, you know, are, are feeling this pain and they're going to take it out on the Democrats in November. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this is all, or Jim, do you want to comment on any of the things that I listed off? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's to say this is trying to put lipstick on a pig. It's like that's that doesn't really quite do it. This is <laughs> I don't know. This is trying to reanimate a corpse, I suppose. This is this is. <laughs> I mean, the we, we talked we've talked the last couple podcasts about the the energy crisis in Europe, and we we tend to look at it from uh, from over here and think, well, that's not really going to happen in this country. Look how much natural gas we have under our feet. I mean, we literally in just what we know about. We have hundreds of years of natural gas to power this country, hundreds of years, maybe as many as 500 years of natural, just natural gas under our feet to power this country. 500 years ago, Columbus showed up. I mean, that's how long (laughs) we're talking about here. Um, And so, but 
if you look at these economic these economic numbers, the price of uh, natural gas is going up. I think I, I I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me, but something like thirty percent uh, mm. over the last year. Um, so and we're not really using a ton of natural gas right now because it's the end of summer in most of the United States. Uh, well, in all the United States, it's the end of summer, but it's not that cold. Uh, it's going to be an expensive winter for everybody who uses natural gas to heat their homes like I do. It's going to be a very expensive winter for everybody who uses electricity uh, to either obviously power their homes or also to heat their homes. Um, we see it happening in Europe and we think, well, that's just kind of happening there. It's going to be more acute. This, this energy crisis is going to be more acute in Europe because they've depended so much on Russian uh, oil and natural gas. And uh, you know, we, we've talked about this, I think, before. I just keep seeing in my mind that video of those Germans in the United Nations laughing in the face of mm. President Trump when he was telling them from the well of the, uh, the, the hall of the General Assembly of the United Nations that you will rue, you are, you're leaving yourself vulnerable by depending so much on Russian oil and you need to start weaning yourself off of that now before it's too late. He said that, was it two or three years ago? And they laughed in his face. And so right. now we see, and and so the energy price is really under, you know, undergirds everything because you need energy to make an economy go. And the higher that goes, the more expensive it is to make everything else in the economy go. But we see this happening in Europe and we think that's not really going to happen here because they have the war in Ukraine. They've been, you know, Russia's shutting off all the oil and natural gas. They've, they've more fully embraced uh, the green delusion of uh, so-called renewable energy, which makes everything else more expensive. But that can't happen here. We are very close to that happening here. And it's actually already starting to happen here because uh, energy prices in California are about, you know, depending on where you live, could be twice to three times as high as it is in, in, in another state. That bad idea, that high energy price is going to sweep across this country. Uh, sure. so, so, you know, the Biden administration throwing a party with, you know, septuagenarian James Taylor singing fire and rain, uh, you know, an old hippie bringing it on there. That's just, you know, <laughs> I, I saw a meme that's like, you know, a better a better uh, band to book would have been the uh, the 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 little the quintet from the Titanic playing oh, sure. as it was going down, because that's really kind of actually what was happening there. James Taylor yeah. was 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 like the uh, was like the violin players on the Titanic as it was going down, because that's what's happening to this economy. Right. Well, and, yeah. And we'll just, real quick, uh, you know, uh, Jim brings up a lot of great points about the energy situation. And, you know, Biden's, uh, you know, trying to celebrate the fact that gasoline is, uh, you know, declining. But that's mostly due to demand dropping. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it is it is it has nothing to do with uh, supply increasing. And, you know, he, he did he did basically, you know, drain our uh, strategic petroleum uh, reserve, you know, earlier this summer. And now it's at a it's at a all time low. What's going to wow. happen when when he's going to have to buy back uh, the oil to replenish the uh, strategic petroleum reserve now that oil is at one hundred dollars a barrel? So oh, that, oh so, Chris, so, oh Chris, when he fills it back up, <laughs> oh keep it in the ground. My I know friend. I'm, I'm being such an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, this party is going on, in the, like I said, in the midst of this uh, August inflation report. It was worse than expected. The expectation was 8%. It came out at 8.3%. I think the number was slightly down from July's number, 8.5, although I saw some articles suggesting that it was actually slightly up. So I'm a little confused by that. And uh, so, core, regardless, core, it's core, core inflation, if you take out um, energy, uh, went up. 
Oh, okay. All right. So despite, this is all despite, you know, this number came out despite the lower gas prices, despite a a slowing economy, Mm -hmm. and despite the feds, the Federal Reserve, hiking interest rates four times this year so far with a 0.75 percentage point hike in June and another one in July. So despite all of these things, inflation is still lingering around. Just just real quick on that. So so the Biden administration is actually... uh, you know, spending, you know, more money as the Fed is raising interest rates. So they sure. are, they are basically undoing what the Fed is trying to do. <laughs> so it, it's like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. I saw a, no um, I think it was Babylon B article and it was like Biden administration proposing another inflation reduction act to counteract the inflation caused <laughs> by the first inflation reduction act. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. Uh, so the worst than expected number spooked the markets, helping lead to a massive, uh, what was it, like 1,200 point? 1,200 point, yeah. Drop in the, drop tail, in the right. stock market. Just a sea of red from end to end. Yet we have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer trying to play DJ and amp up the crowd at this uh, Inflation Reduction Act party. Uh, Andy, I'm going to show my screen here, if possible. Yes, this is uh, this is Nancy Pelosi doing her best uh, DJ uh, stylings. I got. Oh, wait, no, don't do that. Sorry, this is why we have Kitchen somebody else running these things for America's working families. Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger, fairer, safer future for all for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I That's an applause line. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the cringiest thing you've ever experienced? Jill that's was applause applauding. <laughs> and let us oh, salute geez. Leader Schumer, his colleagues in the Senate for their extraordinary leadership and the success in bringing this bill forward. That's an applause. You can hear Chuck Schumer jumping in. That's an applause line too. That's an applause line too. Clap for me. Clap for me. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah. We need that please clap from Jeb Bush clip to play, and uh, and you know what? And it wasn't even just the conservative types that were that were leaping all over this stuff. You know, like this this next clip that I have for you is uh, is CNN talking about just the optics of what's going on. So let's uh, let's play this one too. Here we go. Okay, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting big farm. Oh, come on. Um, but there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 <laughs> points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people Whoops, in the crowd. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's a little hard to be yeah, it's a little hard to be celebratory when uh, when billions of dollars is just dissolving into thin air at the very time you're you're asking people to clap for you for passing this wonderful bill. Good grief! Yeah, see, see, to me, it's like even when CNN is like pointing out this, this just comes off as one of the biggest like the emperor has no clothes moments that I've I've experienced in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, feel free to add on to that. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I have noticed a little bit of a difference in CNN's reporting lately, and they are being a little more uh, honest about, you know, uh, the state of the economy. Um, I think that it has something to do with the fact that uh, their ratings were, you know, just, you know, in the toilet uh, for the first 18 months of the Biden presidency. And their new president has said that he is going to pivot 
more to uh, news and less to opinion. So I think oh. this could be this could actually be the beginning of uh, CNN's uh, you know return back to uh, more uh, neutral uh, stance. You know, we'll see. Um, but uh, Donnie, I also do want to uh, say one thing about Nancy Pelosi's comments. How can she say with a straight face that President Biden is making this country safer for our children? Is she aware that crime is skyrocketing across this country and that children are, you know, are, 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 are basically children were abused during the, the you know, pandemic with, you know, wearing the masks, not going to school. Uh, test scores are down. Uh, suicides are up. Uh, children uh, taking drugs uh, are, you know, off the charts. How can she say that? I, it's just it, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I just imagine a, a couple of years from now, CNN playing a clip where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the country's on fire and uh, we've got our heroic leader in the background doing beer bongs and running around with a lampshade on his head. Like, that's that's what we're seeing right now. It's unbelievable. We're not too far away from that reality. Go ahead, Jim. No, yeah, I know you have a clip you're going to play here, but, you know, listening to you guys talk and just what Chris was just saying, that you know, this is for building a better future for our children. You know, of course, they mean... Uh, all the climate action that's in this bill, which is really, it's the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even call it Green New Deal light. It's pretty much 90% of what uh, AOC wanted in the Green New Deal, which is not actually saving the environment. It's reorganizing our, our economy uh, in a more socialist bent. And, you know, so that's what she means by making the world a better place for the children. Uh, it's going to be, you know, equity. We're going to, we're going to achieve equity, not equality, not uh, liberty, not freedom, not prosperity. Equity. Equity is important. And equity is actually kind of at the heart of the crime waves that we're seeing. Uh, we are going to get into this a little bit in the second half of this podcast about uh, firearms and gun ownership and all of that. Sure. But, uh, you know, our our cities are turning into complete hellholes. Every city, it seems, is turning into uh, New York City circa 1973 when it was an absolute <laughs> crime-ridden uh, hellhole where they made movies like Death Wish to <laughs> as fictional versions of what life was like in New York City. I was born in New York City. I lived there until I was eight years old. Uh, my family moved out. All of my family moved out of the city within, you know, probably by 1980-82 into the suburbs of Pennsylvania or New Jersey. But it was a filthy, crime-ridden, dangerous place back in the 1970s. Now it seems like every city is becoming this way. Uh, and, you know, why is that? It's because, you know, Democrats are in charge of all these places. Uh, you know, what does this have to do with inflation? Not a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> I grant you that. I but, do want to get know, back to inflation. I know. But... We want to get back to inflation. But, yeah, I mean, this is the future that, that they have for us is, is a future where cities are becoming unlivable. And the, the reason I, I now remember why I brought all this up, because it's it's hard to, or I should say it's easy to forget how nice and how good life was just two years ago before sure. COVID was unleashed on, on the world. Uh, this was, the United States was probably in a better position economic, economically than it had been in decades, maybe generations, and it's all gone. And the Democrats here with, with events like this are trying to make you forget that there was actually a path to prosperity. We were on it. And we've now left it. And that's what we have to remember is that there is a way to get back to prosperity, but it's basically doing everything the opposite of what this uh, Biden regime wants us to do right now. Yeah, the uh, White House press secretary was asked, I guess, on the Air Force One by a reporter to comment on that whole split screen CNN thing that we just showed a clip of. 
Um, and she had a pretty interesting response. Let's go ahead and play that clip, Andy. Economy. Um, how concerned is the president about the state of the economy? And given what we saw yesterday with the Dow, is the president at all remiss about the split screen moment that he had on the South Lawn? Let's not forget the the moment that we saw on the South Lawn, uh, the the, uh, uh, the president and thousands of people. No, keep going. Just part of get the clip. Inflation yep. Reduction Act done uh, was a celebration for the American people. Was a win for the American people. When a you win think for about, the American people. Uh, how long uh, elected members, Democrats in particular, and Congress have been fighting for decades? Uh, uh, against special interest group, in particular farmer, to bring costs down uh, from Medicare. That's what you saw uh, yesterday. That's what you saw in this fight: a uh, lowering cost for Medicare, lowering cost for healthcare, lowering cost on energy, co- on energy itself. As it relates to the stock market, uh, is it, it's it's one measure of how the economy is doing, and we are watching this closely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't you all feel like you're winning? That, that was a win. We were celebrating the win for the American people on the South Lawn of the White House. Un. Believable. Uh, so I do want to talk about inflation a little bit more. So um, the biggest tool, this is just like a basic 101 when it comes to inflation and all of that. So, you know, bear with me. Biggest tool the government has to combat inflation is the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. This essentially increases the cost of borrowing money, like dousing inflation fire with a cup of water. Um, however, the trade-off to this sort of action is to slow the economy. So there's always a bit of a balancing act when it comes to managing the baseline interest rate. Usually, at least in the past few decades, the Fed has always kind of erred on the side of leaving the interest rate like as low as possible. This strategy, uh, while allowing the maximum growth, is fraught with all sorts of drawbacks. Easy money can encourage male investments, misallocation of resources, too low of interest rates can cause bubbles in the economy, housing bubble, stock market bubble. It could also cause inflation to rise. Um, also, keeping it too low can mean the government has far more limited options when it comes to fighting the next bout of recession. So usually in the face of a recession, the Federal Reserve chooses to lower interest rates to spur the economy. But if we're already at zero, it's kind of hard to lower it, Right. So uh, now we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. High inflation basically forces the hand of the Fed to hike interest rates. So the last time that inflation was this bad, they, they keep mentioning the 40 years ago thing, the Fed ended up raising the interest rates to nearly 20%. And for context, the four interest rate hikes that happened this year that I mentioned earlier in the show has risen the baseline interest rate to 2.3%. So we're very far off from that 20% high watermark 40 years ago. And some analysis, 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 analysts, that's the word I was looking for, are predicting the next Fed move will be to hike the, the, the baseline rate by a full percentage point, saying that the Fed basically has to do this to get the economy under control. However, this may result in quite a rough landing for the economy. And sorry, Andy, you don't have the link to this clip, but I'm reading from a CNN article titled, The Fed Could Crash the Housing Market. It says, one area of growing concern, housing. Interest rates, uh, interest rate hikes can lead to higher mortgage rates, which could cause people to think twice about buying a new home. For, uh, so far, sales are slipping while the prices are holding steady. But some economists warn continued historic rate hikes by the Fed could risk crashing the housing market, underscoring the difficult task ahead for the central bank. 
So it's quite a precarious situation the Biden administration finds itself in. But instead of acknowledging these dangers and trying to craft some solutions to get out of this uh, you know, roach motel scenario, they chose to spike the football in an elaborate fashion on the South Lawn and invite James Taylor to sing and all of this. It's just bonkers. Uh, Chris or, or Jim, do you want to take first whack at this? Uh, well, first of all, I, I think um, the Federal Reserve has gone uh, way off base. Uh, when the Federal Reserve was originally created, uh, it was supposed to be the lender of last resort. It was supposed to be uh, the the backstop so that uh, banks would not uh, fail like they did during the uh, early days of the, of the uh, Great Depression. However, uh, in the decades since, the Federal Reserve has changed its uh, mandate and it's also uh, uh, expanded its scope. So one of the, one of the reasons why, Donnie, uh, the, the Federal Reserve uh, is in the situation we're in now is because, yes, they have kept uh, interest rates very low. I don't think the Federal Reserve should even be involved in uh, uh, determining interest rates because I don't think that, that any uh, central bank has the wherewithal to determine what interest rates should be. I would much rather have the market determine that. But uh, one of the biggest differences between the 1980s and the 2020s is in the 1980s, hey, guess what? Ronald Reagan came in and he saw the writing on the wall. What did Ronald Reagan do? He cut taxes. He cut regulations because he knew that this has to be a, 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 a double approach. You yes, you do have to raise interest rates to try to squeeze some of the uh, loose money out of the system. But at the same time, you want to spur productivity. How do you spur productivity? You decrease taxes and you decrease regulations. Joe Biden and the Biden administration has done the exact opposite. They're raising taxes and they're raising regulations. So they're uh, they are uh, they are not goosing uh, productivity. They're stifling productivity. The classic you know, you know, uh, definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. So what happens when Joe Biden keeps spending trillions of dollars mm -hmm. and he is uh, putting forth policies that are that is stifling uh, goods and services? You've got more dollars chasing fewer goods and services. You're spiking inflation. So, you know, I think the Federal Reserve is one part of this, but I think that much more blame and responsibility should be placed on the Biden administration because during a recession or during, you know, a high inflationary period, you should be doing the opposite of what they're doing. They're spending yeah. money and they're increasing regulations. You should be doing the opposite. This is really simple stuff. Like I said, between a rock and a hard place, I think there's probably a legion of economists on both sides of this thing that's just like, we'll either celebrate or, or demonize uh, the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve for going in one direction and, and jacking up interest rates because they're going to say that's going to be terrible for the economy and all of that. And you've got a legion of economists on the other side saying that like you have to do this or inflation is going to run wild. And yet during all of this, when you've got enemies on both sides, they're celebrating on the South Lawn. <laughs> Jim, I'll give you kind of final words on all this inflation stuff uh, before we move on to our next topic. Yeah, I mean, I, it just reminded me, uh, you know, mortgage rates. I saw a notice on my phone this morning, and I see a story here at, on Forbes that uh, rates for home loans this week top six for the first time in nearly 14 years. Wow. Uh, so the 30, a 30-year 30 fixed rate mortgage is now 
uh, averages 6.02% uh, for the week ending this week. I believe I have a 30-year mortgage on the home I'm sitting in right now. I believe our rate at the time in 2016, I think it was like three and a quarter percent, something like that. Um, so it's becoming increasingly difficult to uh, purchase a home, uh, the American dream. That's harder. So again, you could look at every single economic indicator uh, under the Biden administration, and every single damn one of them is way worse than it was uh, just two years ago. Now that's, you know, a lot of that is because we shut down the entire world. We think we can, we thought we shut down the economy, tell millions of businesses to just stay, just uh, chill out, stay at home, and uh, we'll let you know when you can go back into business, you know, and uh, shut down manufacturing and, and shipping and all that stuff over over a, over a disease. We thought we could just start it all back up again. Uh, we d we learned that actually that's that's not that's not how the world works and we can't do that. So this is a slowly unfolding disaster that seems to be increasing in speed by month by month. Uh, and yeah, the Fed is going to raise interest rates again. Um, we're going to learn that uh, there's there's no painless way out of the economic malaise we're in right now. Uh, <laughs> the only way the only way out is through, and it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of pain in the next couple of years. I'm afraid. Yeah. The mortgage rate thing is, is is very interesting. You said top six percent in the first time yeah. in fourteen years. Um, yeah, I think it was two thousand eight. About, about a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, right. About a year ago, um, I had my house refinanced down to like something like two percent, maybe slightly over two percent or something like that. So I just like and and I'm I, I'm very I acknowledge that we we like threaded a needle when it came to buying this house and we got it at the just the right time before everything started going crazy. You, you, but you did this. High, this uh, Forbes story says that last year at this time, uh, that 30 year fixed rate mortgage rate was 2.86%. So, you know, <laughs> lucky you. Right. 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 And, and again, like you mentioned, this makes it harder for people to not necessarily buy a house, but buy a house in the way that most people do, which is finance it through a mortgage and all of that. Sure. What this what this rate hike probably doesn't affect are these giant uh, investment firms like the Black Rocks and the Blackstones of the world that buy up these neighborhoods just with, uh, you know, they just cut a check and buy these houses up uh, outright. So I don't think they care what the uh what the mortgage rates are because they're just buying the house straight up right so you know this whole idea of uh you know we us becoming a rentership society something that we've talked about on this podcast before i think that this almost plays into the hands of the black rocks and the black stones they're buying these homes and then just turning around and renting them to people so it's uh quite a bad situation we're finding ourselves in folks well, yet the president's celebrating go ahead chris uh, and and this also affects auto loans and credit card uh, rates but uh you know one other big thing that i think we should uh be worrying about over the long term is uh our national debt just passed 31 trillion dollars <laughs> and and when the federal reserve raises interest rates guess what that means we're paying more interest on that debt and if right. the federal reserve keeps uh raising interest rates Eventually, servicing our national debt is going to cost more than it does just to pay for our entire military. So this is right. going to have far-reaching consequences. The, the Federal Reserve is playing with fire, and the more the Biden administration just keeps spending, they've spent more than $4 trillion in 18 months. And that's on top of, you know, just the, 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 the budget, which is on, you know, autopilot. This is just going to, you know, this is going to uh, make uh, the economy worse, and it's going to... Um, you know, just further, you know, uh, degrade uh, American standard of living.
Also, one last thing. I didn't even prepare notes on this, but I have a link in the show notes in case you want to check it out. But uh, Chris and I were in, we were having a conversation about inflation yesterday. I thought of the idea of how, you know, um, uh, another thing that we've talked about in this podcast before, that depending on where you live, cost of living, that type of thing, your dollar goes further or shorter than in other places that you live. And it made me think of inflation, obviously, isn't, you know, a super... Uh, you know, consistent throughout the country either. So I, I, I raised the question to Chris, like, you know, is inflation worse in rural areas or urban areas? And I kind of suspect that it was going to be worse in urban areas, but it turns out it's not. Chris, you told me that it was actually the opposite. And then inflation is generally um, measured by metrics for urban shoppers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's actually worse for rural people, too. And I found an article from NPR talking about how inflation is crushing rural America and has even driven people to the cities. So uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you're living out in the, you know, in, in the middle of the rural area, the inflation numbers are actually worse than what we're reporting on. So and, it's just just craziness. And and just one last thing, so I know you want to move on to the next topic, but a lot of uh, uh, major cities uh, run by Democrats are offering UBIs. LA, <laughs> LA just announced that they have the largest pilot program ever. So that I think they are trying to entice uh, people to move from, you know, rural areas into the cities by saying, we'll give you uh, free money. We'll give you, you know, food stamps. We'll give you like housing vouchers and all this stuff just because they want them to move into the cities because they can be more easily controlled in the cities. We're going to have to do an episode on UBIs. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Universal um, basic income. Stop using jargon, guys. Come on. <laughs> you know, universal basic income. Um, yeah, we're going to we're going to have to talk about that because I think that that's going to be increasingly like a policy platform of the left um, in, in increasingly over the next several years. So we're going to have to talk about that. But uh, we got about 15 minutes left. So let's jump to our secondary topic. So this I'm reading from an article from The Federalist that is titled Credit Card Giants Conspire with Democrats to Monitor Consumer Gun Purchases. So uh, the article starts off saying, after facing mounting pressure from Democrats and anti-gun activists, credit card giants Visa, MasterCard, and American Express all announced plans this week to single out their customers' purchases uh, at firearms stores. Using a new four-digit merchant code, credit card companies will now categorize any purchase at gun ammunition stores, regardless if those purchases are of firearms or not. As separate from other shopping, if credit card companies deem any of these transactions suspect, they will report them to local law enforcement agencies. Visa, MasterCard, and Amex all adopted the new standards on Saturday shortly after the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, which is known for setting standards for Western business transactions, approved the change regarding gun store purchases on Friday. The ISO's decision came at the behest of anti-gun activists and Democrat lawmakers, including Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who just one week prior demanded financial CEOs be their eyes and ears when it comes to, quote, certain types of suspicious activities, including straw purchases and unlawful bulk purchases that could be used in the commission of domestic terrorist acts or gun trafficking schemes. So, um... Reading from a different article, I don't have the link for this one. 
but it talks about these merchant category codes and how they're four-digit codes that describe the retailer where a purchase is made without detailing the specific item bought. These codes allow credit card issuers to track and restrict purchases. For instance, offering rewards, credit cards uh, that give bonus points for travel purchases or cash back for grocery spending. So now these codes will be able to target uh, and specifically track any type of purchases that revolve around firearms or ammo or anything like that. So obviously the fear here is that uh, this new system will be uh, abused and used to disrupt legal firearm purchases by law-abiding Americans. But hey, I'm cynical about these things. Um, who wants to go first? Chris, what do you think about all this? I think this is big brother. Here we come. Uh, I think that the uh, the government uh, and Elizabeth Warren is a big fan of this. Uh, government is uh, basically hiring uh, the credit card companies to do their their uh, job for them. And that is to track gun sales because they do want to create a gun registry because they want to know who has guns. Because eventually I do think that they want to take our guns. They want to take our guns because then they would have a monopoly on uh, firearms. And hey, guess what? Uh, uh, we, we the people would be unable to uh, push back against anything they want to do. Jim, what do you think about this? This seems like a uh, troubling development. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a de facto gun registry. Uh, I want to make sure all of our listeners and viewers here, you know, kind of understand what's happening here and where this is going. This is this is fascism. This is our corporations eagerly carrying out the wishes of our ruling class uh, to enact policies that would not and cannot be passed uh, legislatively. And so they'll just strong arm uh, corporations to carry out uh, their agenda instead, because that's so much easier because they can just threaten these corporations with uh, action against them if they don't do what they want. And so they get to have uh, the policies they wish without actually passing any legislation to do it because the national gun registry would not would never fly. Never. They, they could probably they, they, even the people who support it in Congress wouldn't vote for it. It's that kind of it's that toxic. <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at what um, a quote from that story that you read from The Federalist quote. If the credit card companies deem any of those transactions suspect, they will report them to local law enforcement agencies. Uh, so suspect. I mean, look, first of all, let's be clear here. The vast majority of so-called of you know what they call gun violence in this country are committed by repeat criminals, degenerates, the scum of the earth, uh, and there and most of it is in urban areas, including the city of Chicago. And those criminals did not go uh, across the border in Hammond, Indiana, and buy their gun from you know Gary's Gun Emporium uh, and 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 hot dog stand over in Hammond, Indiana. No, they got their firearms illegally from other criminals, and so there is no reason. Zero reason for Visa, MasterCard, or Amex to ever report pretty much a gun purchase to law enforcement agencies. Why, if I was to go in and purchase a gun, why would that have? Why would that? Why? What reason at all would Visa have to report that to a law enforcement agency? None, zero. But would they do it? Of course they would do it because they want to play ball. They want to be. They want to be smiled upon by a ruling class, so they'll do that. Uh, you know, what, what gun dealer, if I was a gun dealer, I would really have a hard time cooperating with this, but with this four digit code you're putting in there, it's basically passive. So it takes that check on this, you know, usurpation of our, of our second amendment rights or, and uh, making a gun registry away from us because it's all automatic. Uh, 
you know, like this is there are literally hundreds of millions of gun owners in this country uh, and hundreds of millions of of guns in this country. Uh, so I actually don't think they can take away all of our guns, but they can make it as expensive and as uh, uh, as risky as possible to be a gun owner in this country um, to yeah. to 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 make it so that people don't want to have them or, or think it's too much trouble or I might get in trouble. If right. I can have one, that's the point. Yeah. See, see, to mm -hmm. me, this screams of the Great Reset, this continued yep. alignment of uh, private and public sectors to force policy in a specific direction. And when it comes to ESG metrics, I've always warned that ES, uh, ESG metrics can, with a stroke of a pen, be used to punish companies that deal with firearms, yeah. uh, either from the, the manufacturing side of things to supplying financial services to manufacturing, uh, uh, you know, things that manufacture firearms to even facilitating the purchases of firearms. So you can call me crazy. You can call me a conspiracy theory uh, theorist if you wish. But I think that this is the creation of the infrastructure that will allow credit card companies to completely shut off their ability of their their customers to use their products to purchase firearms uh, with these credit cards entirely. Well, That's what, what I think all of this is. Well, yeah, and I think just at a base level, what it shows, Donnie, is like who, who does uh, who is Visa more afraid to piss off their customers or the government? It's obvious. We or, know or the they're, they're Davos overlords. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and, and this and this is part of a pattern. Who but, who is Facebook more interested or 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 uh, more fearful of pissing off their users or the government. We know the answer to that question. Same for Twitter, same for Apple. Uh, you know, it's, it's a part of a pattern, big, big corporations getting in, in league with the government to make life more difficult and sometimes more dangerous for us as, as individuals. And, you know, all you have to do, this is actually a, a bit of the market at work because, um, they've chosen in their marketplace, who's more important to them. And it's not you and me, it's government. Uh, yeah, and, and and well, just and Danny, if they were really interested in uh, reducing gun violence, you know what they would do? They would go to the inner cities where the where you know uh, most of this gun violence is taking place, and they would actually put away people who are charged with gun crimes. But in the city of Chicago, they aren't. You can get charged with a gun crime, and you can be out out of jail literally that day. So they are bail. not. Yeah, and it's so so they they are not trying to reduce uh you know the epidemic of gun crime which is an epidemic you know in inner cities across this nation yeah i, I just want to harp on the esg angle a little bit more sure. because the whole concept of uh you know like the e and esg is all the environment things right a company can get punished for their upstream or downstream usage or their carbon footprint whether it's uh based on uh, uh, people that they're selling their products to, or, you know, the, the resources that are getting from somebody else, right. Upstream or downstream. If you have a big carbon footprint, you get a, a score marked lower down. So the, that incentivizes companies to, uh, affect the people that they're selling to, whether it's uh, firms or individuals or the people that they're buying resources from to limit their exposure to this, uh, to carbon dioxide emissions or trying to lower their footprint. And I think that this is I think that this is leading to an inclusion of anti-firearm uh, metrics in ESG. And this is just creating the ability for these credit card companies to just shut off uh, their exposure to firearm things to help their score. I know this is pure speculation, but I do have one other article that uh, kind of backs this up a little bit. And this is from like a month or two ago. 
um, Saya, S-A-I-A, one of the largest trucking companies in the United States, announced that they were discontinuing service for shipping firearms or firearm parts. So they don't even want to be shipping firearm parts. They made this announcement in the wake of uh, you know one of the shootings that happened like a month ago or something like that. But I think that this is just part of a larger trend that we're going to see. We see this. And then we see the credit card companies. I think we're going to see a handful more stories about different industries or bigger players in certain industries kind of distancing themselves from firearms, uh, you know, at all. Probably banks will be the next thing. And then I think after that, we're going to see a more widespread push for ESG to incorporate anti-firearm metrics. Pure speculation. Mark me down as this is just a, a prediction that I'm making on September, what's the 15th or something? Um and we'll we'll check back in like a year and see if I was correct. But uh, Jim or Chris, feel feel free to to run with any anything that I said or any other direction that you want. I think you're 100 percent right. Well, I mean, and the reason I think that is what development in in as ESG has developed and grown and and people are learning more about it. What what development in ESG makes you think that that's not where they're, where they're going? I mean, right. has there been any check on it? Has there been any, has there, has there been any, has there been anybody involved in this that says, you know, there is a point where it's too far that, <laughs> that has there, has there ever been a, a moment when you thought, yeah, I think this is a good intentioned idea. No, <laughs> there's nothing good well, intentioned and, about any of it. And Jim, the, and, and Jim, the, like the, the brilliance of it is that it doesn't require passage of a law or anything. You mentioned the national gun registry thing that even, even people in support of that wouldn't vote for it. This doesn't require that. It's just, it's just a, a, a rewriting of the different ESG metrics by these like giant corporations and stuff. So like it could happen literally overnight. Yeah. That's fascism. This is exactly right. what's happening here. It, it is it is big business and the government conspiring together to reorder society in a way that nobody ever voted for. That's exactly what fascism is, and that's exactly what's happening right now in this right. country. And we right. still have a chance to stop it for now. Yeah, and and you know, and then there'll be people be like, "Well, ESG is just free markets. These co corporations can do whatever they want." And it's like, no, man, this is so far from free markets. This is pushing through this agenda without having to worry about what the Constitution says because they're doing it. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I think a dangerous precedent was set uh, earlier this year when uh, Jen Psaki uh, got up and admitted that the administration was working with tech companies to stifle conservative voices. Right. And, and, and I think that this is that, you know, like the, you know, like the logical next step where, OK, well, then we'll also use, you know, corporations to prevent people from uh, having guns. What what's it's a public safety issue? It's a public yeah, safety right, issue in the right. same so, way that so, climate change is, or or inequity is, or any other things that ESG is supposedly out there trying to combat. But but once the government and big business get together to start to you know work together for uh, common goals, that means that we the people are going to uh, bear the brunt of that. So I, I am you know very very worried about this uh, uh, you know budding relationship between big government and big business across the board. Oh, I'm, it's flourishing. Very, very it's more than big. budding. Yeah. It's, it's flourishing. Big. Yeah. It's starting to fruit. Yeah. Well, it's not just Jen Psaki uh, standing up and saying that, Chris. I mean, there's been emails. There's been Freedom of Information Act uh, lawsuits yeah. out there where uh, between discussions with executives and, uh, you know, muckety mucks at Twitter, and high members of the of the government, including Fauci and, you know, the White House and others, coordinating on what to censor, 
on Twitter, specifically what to censor on Twitter. When a corporation, oh, and then again, uh, Facebook, um, Facebook, the FBI calls up, uh, uh, you know, Zuckerberg admitted this on the Joe Rogan podcast the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, the FBI said, you know, hey, well, you should take down that Russian, uh, uh, that Hunter Biden laptop story. That's Russian disinformation. Oh, okay, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. When a private corporation censors your speech, um, specifically at the request of government, that is actually a violation of the First Amendment. Um, and somebody should do something about it, right? We should sue or something. Somebody should report on this. This should be big news in front of the New York Times. The reason that they are get that they are attempting and succeeding in this in this basically fascistic partnership between big business and our ruling class is because they're getting away with it and they will get away with it that so what if we get sued for violating the first amendment it's too late we already won the election we already suppressed that news uh we're living in a in we live in the information age but uh supposedly these days but it's more of a disinformation age, but not the way that the left thinks it, uh, thinks it is. You know, we're being manipulated by this partnership, this fascistic partnership between big business and the ruling class. Uh, yeah, at least yeah. at least people listening to this podcast are aware of it, and you, we should you know spread that word. Yeah, and everyone that's listening to this podcast, like like help me out in my theory. Help me out in my theory. Keep an eye out for any other stories like this. Industries or big players in major industries doing these things that uh, seem to be counter to the Second Amendment and firearm ownership or anything like that. Uh, And if you see any articles like that, send them my way. But uh, we are already over the hour mark, so I do want to uh, wrap it up here. I want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Uh, like I said at the front end of the show, that if you're joining us on a Friday, if you're listening to the audio-only version, come and join us live on Thursdays at noon Central Time. You could join the conversation, put your comments and questions in the chats. Maybe we'll show your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, to help our channel get uh, shown to more people, hit that like button, hit that share button, leave a comment under there. All things that will cost you nothing but uh, but a minute that will help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from reaching more people. Also, if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod, or you can send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to the show by emailing us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Chris, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Stoppingsocialism.com, and I just want to remind everyone that we have an awesome benefit dinner coming up in a couple of weeks. So if you can't attend, you should definitely attend. It will be a great, great evening. Absolutely. We should probably lead off every show talking about that, but that's my fault. And also, lastly, a big birthday shout out to Jim Lakely once more. Uh, Hopefully the next year is as awesome as the last. Um, And uh, you'll be continuing to join us here on the In the Tank podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.